Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Who could have known, right? Who could have known that Justin Trudeau insulting the world's largest democracy, one of the uh, world's largest economies, that it could have real-world impacts for Canada? Who could have known that it would be hurting our farmers? Did you hear we're going to be facing more tariffs after Justin Trudeau insulted India? Yeah, it's a fact. Um, I wish it were not. Now, what you've been mostly hearing about on the tariff front are worries that Canada might be included, might be included in Donald Trump's tariffs on steel and aluminum. And this is something that we do have to worry about. But this is all we've been hearing about on the trade irritant side. Any tariffs or quota that would be imposed on our Canadian steel aluminum industry would be unacceptable. Any such decision would have an impact on both sides of the borders, and Canadians rest assured that we will always be there to defend our workers and our steel and industry across this country, and we'll stand firm for Canadian workers. I just want to point out that I'm from a steel town, and um, what I'm talking about today are trade irritants with, between Canada and the U.S. and Canada and India, and who owns the two big steel mills in Canada's biggest steel town, Hamilton? That would be uh, U.S. Steel bought out Stelco. They've pretty much shut down the Hilton Works in Hamilton. They run the Lake Erie Works out towards Nanticoke. The DeFasco plant is owned by ArcelorMittal out of India. We have annoyed both countries to no end. So we might be included in these tariffs on steel and aluminum, but we don't know. We're the biggest market, you know, We're the biggest importer of steel and aluminum to the United States. It would be a 25% tariff on steel, 10% tariff on aluminum. But we don't know if we're included, and that's the problem, says uh, Aaron O'Toole, the conservative critic on the file. This has been a separate issue for a whole entirely different reasons, and Canada should have been carved out earlier. The fact the trade minister is not aware if Canada's in it causes me concern. Why would the trade minister know a thing about this? I mean, the trade minister doesn't get to go anywhere. The trade minister didn't go to the trip on India, did he? Was Frankie Bubbles, was Francois-Philippe Champagne Frankie Bubbles? Was he in India dealing with that? No. Does Trudeau take his top ministers when he goes to Washington? No. He takes Catherine McKenna, but he doesn't take the natural resources minister, Jim Carr, when... At the time of his big deal with Obama, his big state dinner, what was the biggest trade irritant there? Oh, right. It was Keystone XL. He doesn't take the top people. You can bet on his next trip he's going to take somebody glamorous, but he's not going to take little Frankie Bubbles. The trade minister, he's not going to take the agriculture minister or the industry minister, any of these. No, no, he's just going to take... Whoever he feels will look good in photos with him as he changes 15 times into... What would he wear in America? Mostly we've seen him wear suits. Next time, shouldn't he be in Stars and Stripes bikinis or something like that? Ooh, maybe I just gave them idea. 
So we're worried about we might be included, but we don't know if we will be included in these tariffs on steel and aluminum. And today, though, today, India, I'm reading from the Western Producer. This is the magazine that looks after farmers across Western Canada, used to work with Barry, their old uh, Ottawa bureau chief. He was up there for 25, 30 years covering agriculture policy. They've just upped the tariff on Canadian chickpeas from 40% to 60%. We sell 10,000 tons of chickpeas to India, to India alone. They've upped the tariff from 40% to 60 Now, I know that there are a lot of poor farmers in India. And these pulse crops, like chickpeas and lentils, is what the government is trying to get Indian farmers to produce. And we sell a lot of that to them. So I know that it was always going to be a tough nut to crack to say, hey, Justin Trudeau, while you're in India, do you think you can warm up to Prime Minister Modi? Get him to remove this tariff. Because it's 40% on chick. Well, it was 40% until today, but I think it's 50% or more on lentils. And... We wanted this at least addressed, looked after, published in the Gazette of India today. What do we have in Canada? We have the Gazette of Canada. This is why I keep saying we need to trade with India. They have a similar system. We can understand it. They published it today. After a week of this government blaming India for trying to embarrass Justin Trudeau, after a week of Trudeau and company saying India, tried to make me look bad, and it was a conspiracy of elements within the Indian government that had me invite a Canadian terrorist who was in India to an event that I was hosting. What? How did you not see that there would be consequences? And so our farmers are going to suffer. Now, Justin Trudeau will not care about this, and I'll tell you why, because the farmers that are going to suffer, they're not in Quebec. They're in Manitoba, they're in Saskatchewan, they're in Alberta. Places where he has a little bit of representation, but not a lot. He knows he's not going to win any more seats after how he's treated the oil industry in Alberta. He knows he's going to lose a bunch of seats in Manitoba over how he has treated certain things. And he knows his lone MP in Saskabush, Ralph Goodale, is going to be gone. And Ralph should be gone. Ralph... I've covered you a long time. You are an honorable man, and today you did yourself a disservice. I know people will be shocked I say that. Ralph Goodale is an honorable man. He has been serving this country in elected office since 1974. So basically since Justin and I were trying to figure out how to put on our pants by ourselves. I wouldn't even say tie our shoes because that would put us at what, like three? We're both born late 71. Ralph was elected in spring, summer, 74. So, yeah, we're like two and a half, not even three. Yeah, we don't even know how to put on our pants. Ralph Goodale's already elected. He has served the country at the federal and provincial level since then. And, sir, today you did a scrum where you ran away from reporters, where you embarrassed yourself trying to explain away this whole kerfuffle with India and why... Journalists could be briefed on what the National Security Advisor said, but parliamentarians couldn't. Because 
let, let me set this up for you, okay? There was a, a scrum, and I want you to hear part of it. I'm not going to play the whole thing. It's eight and a half painful minutes of Ralph Goodale, but you can find it all at brianlilly.com. You can find the whole thing at brianlilly.com and listen to it. Watch it, listen to it, hear what Ralph Goodale's saying. It's unreal. The House of Commons Public Safety and National Security Committee wanted to hear from Daniel Jean. He's the National Security Advisor that went out and was selling this conspiracy theory that Ralph Goodale, or sorry, the conspiracy theory, <laughs> Ralph Goodale wasn't behind it. He was selling the conspiracy theory that elements within the Indian government were out to embarrass Justin Trudeau, and that's why convicted attempted murderer would-be assassin, member of a terrorist group, Jasper Atwal, was invited to two different events. Well, it's rogue elements inside the Indian government trying to embarrass the the Trudeau liberals. Hmm. Really? So they brought out Daniel John, and he sold this. He spun this to journalists. Well, members of the, the House of Commons, Public Safety and National Security Committee wanted to know more. They tried to invite him to appear before the committee. The liberals used their majority on the committee to block that. And then Ralph Goodale, our public safety minister, ends up in a scrum with reporters. I'm going to play you a little bit of this. Uh, Is India lying? Uh, I can only say that I uh, trust and rely upon the uh, distinguished public service. Okay, let me tell you why they asked, is India lying? India has denied this. They put out a statement from their Ministry of External Affairs yesterday to say, this did not happen. We had nothing to do with what happened to Justin Trudeau. So let me start that again. We're going to play this for a minute or two. Uh, Is India lying? Uh, I can only say that I uh, trust and rely upon the uh, distinguished public servants whose job it is to provide me and provide Canadians with the best possible information and advice all the time in the Canadian national interest. But what's the issue, what's the issue with having that official brief the committee? Uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, logistical matters, uh, which the committee would not be interested in, uh, that, that's, uh, that's, that's not the point. The point is, as you could see from the questioning in the committee, it very quickly turns to issues that are classified. And there is a process by which parliamentarians can examine Hmm. uh, classified issues. We created Hmm. that vehicle in the Committee of Parliamentarians to deal with national security and intelligence. The journalists got a briefing. The the, the point is that parliamentarians have a way to pursue this. But if it's classified, why do journalists get get that information? And and what's what's the issue of bringing that individual forward before committee? I simply make the point that when a Canadian public official, especially one that deals with uh, uh, diplomacy, foreign affairs, and national security. Uh, When they offer advice or comments or information, uh, they are doing so in a completely impartial manner. Oh, bull crap. In a partisan manner. uh, And their interest and objective is the the best national interest. And I I rely on their advice every day. now so you're you're you know you're talking about the public servant but can you explain to the public 
this theory that has been floated around about factions of the Indian okay, government potentially yep. being involved in this, this is out there and it's incumbent on you to clarify. Well, you, you are asking me to wade in to the details mm-hmm. of, uh, of uh, classified material. And I cannot... Okay, we got to cut it there before we're out of time. But let me tell you, you can watch the entire video, listen to the entire scrum at brianlilly.com. And this is Ralph Goodale trying to explain away, and Omar Sachedina, who you heard in there saying, but journalists were briefed. Omar gets in there, Adam, again, and says, but I was on the call. I know what was said. Why can I be briefed? And parliamentarians, our elected officials, cannot. Julie Van Dusen from CBC, just so this is not just a CTV ad, Julie Van Dusen, who I've worked with for years, jumps in as well saying, how can I explain to my kids that MPs can't be briefed, but journalists can? And Ralph Goodell just keeps saying, I trust our public service and it's classified. Not too classified to call up a bunch of journalists and spin them this load of garbage this conspiracy theory that India is behind embarrassing Trudeau. And the result of that, and it will not be the last thing, do you think that billion dollars of two-way trade is really going to happen now? I don't think so. I think that we're going to be frozen out of the Indian economy, which is projected to grow at 7% next year. We're happy to get above 2 They're looking at 7%. We could be latching onto them, selling them all kinds of things, We're going to be frozen out because our prime minister decided that his embarrassment of dressing up every single day in outfits that were too Indian for an Indian, according to Indian fashion designers, his embarrassment over that, his embarrassment over inviting a convicted terrorist to dinner was too much to bear. So he had to claim that India was behind it. He's like the three-year-old that can't take the blame for tipping over the cookie jar and spilling everything across the kitchen floor. He's a petulant little brat who is costing jobs in this country. The farmers that are trying to sell chickpeas will not be the last. We will be blocked out time and again from a growing economy at a time when our biggest trading partner, the United States, is becoming more protectionist and where we need friends and allies. And we had one in India until Justin decided to go there and then attack them while on their own soil. And Ralph Goodale's attempts to spin this and say he can't talk about classified things that were told to journalist after journalist in the hopes that they would write about it and make it public is nothing but bull caca. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. If you're watching on Facebook Live, join us for the rest of the show. You can listen in at CFRA.com. You can download the iHeartRadio app, always free, Apple or Android. And, of course, when we open up the phone lines, we take calls from across the country. So wherever you're listening, you can join in the conversation. News Talk 580 CFRA. Back after this. on your side. 
This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Now, the number one thing you need to know tonight is that your prime minister is an idiot. Could we just wrap it there? I'd like to. Uh, Unfortunately, I can't. I need to explain. The prime minister is in Montreal today. He's out selling his budget. And while he was there, he was asked about why he's not letting uh, Daniel John, the National security advisor that's spinning this conspiracy theory go before the House of Commons committee. And Trudeau just continued to defend Jean without actually naming him. Uh, I uh, continue to uh, trust and support our uh, national security agencies and uh, officials. uh, And when they uh, highlight that there are concerns around a particular issue, uh, I trust them and I believe them. Okay, but. And you can find all this, again, you can find the video, you can watch the exchanges on my website at brianlilly.com, is that I've started blogging there on a regular basis, so if you hear me talking about something on the show and you want to know more, you can check out and see if I've said something more there. But the opposition has said, let us talk to him. No. Provide us some proof. No. Will you name that it was actually Jean? No. Nobody's denied it since I named him on the weekend. But that's the way things go. Story number two you need to know. It's not about the, you know, the actual tariffs that have been applied by India to Canadian agricultural goods because Justin Trudeau just insulted their government. It's that Donald Trump may impose new tariffs. 25% on steel, 10% on aluminum. Trump making the announcement today at the White House with a gathering of industry CEOs. You will have protection for the first time in a long while and... You've got to regrow your industries. That's all I'm asking. You have to regrow your industries. Well, will it happen? Who knows? Uh, this is not the first time. It won't be the last. Uh, I I've, have watched steel tariffs come and go my entire life. Uh, this is something that is normally driven by members of Congress that represent steel districts. I'm sure it is no different this time. Story number three, one night after the debate... And you all had some things to say about the debate, including some of you who were Caroline Mulroney supporters and were no longer. Well, Mulroney sat down with Graham Richardson for a one-on-one interview uh, on CTV News. She said she's not worried about the pundits and polls putting her in third. She says she may not have the experience of front runners. Christine Elliott and Doug Ford, but she's got something else. But I think that uh, what people are looking for, actually, and I know this because I've been talking to voters now for months, is they are actually looking for somebody different, somebody who isn't as used to, maybe perhaps as polished in terms of uh, speaking to media and speaking in sound bites, which is something you have to learn to do. Uh, And it is something that you have to learn to do. And uh, is uh, Caroline Mulrooney there? We don't know. Story number four, you need to know. Mountain Equipment Co-op, based out of Vancouver, but with a store here in Ottawa, says it won't carry popular brands such as Camelback anymore because they're owned by Vista. And Vista owns and manufactures firearms. Mountain Equipment Co-op Chief Executive uh, David Labastor saying he's listened to all sides of the debate before reaching the decision to ban firearms or ban products related to firearms that haven't caused a problem in Canada. This one has been a very emotional issue with a lot of different opinions, and um, it it wasn't very clear-cut. The one thing that came through consistently was that 
most people feel there is a need for greater gun control and a, a greater discussion around gun control. Where? In Canada? The AR-15, there's literally about 250,000 of them in Canada and no issues. But hey, you go ban Camelbacks from Mountain Equipment Co-op, I'll let my membership sit where it is and shop at sale. Uh, Story number five, no, it is not that uh, Diane Deans thinks that we need to have a uh, women's bureau. We'll talk about that later on in the program. It is that a Royal Canadian Air Force deployable life raft fell off a helicopter and gave a woman living in Miami a skylight that she didn't want. Uh, That's right. They were doing a search and rescue exercise, uh, the Canadians and Americans together in the Miami area. The life raft separated from the helicopter, fell through the the home of uh, Luce Ramo, who said she was lying in bed. When all of a sudden something came crashing through her roof. 731 Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. News headlines. Then we'll get back with a reporter that was in that disastrous Goodale scrum today. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Brian Platt. Uh, he is a post-media reporter. You can read his, uh, his excellent work in National Post, and he's got a good write-up about what went down today with the bizarre scrum on Parliament Hill with our public safety minister. But I want to play, a before we get to Brian, I want to play a little bit. Again, if you, if you want to watch and see, hear the whole thing, you can find it up at brianlilly.com. But I want to play you an extended clip of this bizarre scrum and then talk to somebody that was in the middle of it. Um, and off the top, this is CTV's Omar uh, Sachedina, who was on the India trip and on the call that started this conspiracy theory talk. Uh, we'll play that and Goodale's response and then talk to Brian Platt. There's an official who provided a background briefing to reporters and you're saying that information is classified. If it is so classified, why did journalists, why were journalists privy to that call? And why can't that official brief committee? What, what, what the official may or may not have, have said to journalists, I don't know. I wasn't privy to that. But what I know from watching this conversation this morning is that when, when, uh, when uh, the questioning proceeds, it very quickly goes to areas that are classified. Minister, I was on that call. I was on that call, so I will tell you what this official said. This official said that there are factions within the... I was on that call. I'm telling you what he said. There are factions within the Indian government that are responsible for undermining the Prime Minister. That was his suggestion. So if he's told us that, why can't he brief Canadians and the committee on that? How is that classified? When... when the issue is pursued by members of parliament. The vehicle to pursue it, if they wish to, is, uh, is well established in law, and that is the, the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. Ralph Goodale uh, speaking to reporters earlier today. One of the reporters that was there is Brian Platt with uh, National Post, and he joins me on the line now. Uh, Brian, uh, eight minutes. I only played a minute there, but there's more than eight minutes of that scrum. And I don't think Ralph Goodell ever gave an answer that fully explained why people at CTV, National Post, CBC, Global can all hear about this 
conspiracy theory, but MPs can't. Did he ever get to a, a concrete answer? Well, the problem was uh, there's not really an answer that he can give. Uh, you know, I don't think it was him that was involved in, in setting up the call in the first place. I was not involved with the call. I wasn't on it, so I can't say for sure. And so the thing about Ralph Goodale is he's, he is one of the ministers. I think most people would say he's the most competent minister that Justin Trudeau has, or he, at least one of the top, you know, three no, or four. No, I, I, I would and, say and Goodell, that. And so the, what, sorry? I, I, I would agree. He, hmm, yeah. You know, he's one of the grown-ups in the room of any government. Uh, and, and the and, type of guy that yeah. you look forward to to handle hot files like this. Exactly. And he had trouble yeah. today. Well, and, and so one, he is also one of the ministers who doesn't mind speaking to the media. He's confident. He likes to take a lot of questions. Unlike a lot of other ministers, he doesn't always just stick to his talking points. He actually knows his file and will talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, in some ways, I feel bad for him. I think he was in a, an impossible situation and getting grilled with questions that are, you know, I think good, very reasonable and good questions to ask. But uh, he, you know, he didn't have an answer. And so it was, in, it was one of those um, scrums with reporters that um, is just torture for a minister because uh, and, you know, and so, again, I kind of want to say kudos to Goodale for trying to stand in there and as long as he did. As you say, eight minutes is for an after committee scrum is a long time. But, man, it was, you know, it, the video is painful to watch. So he he couldn't say why MPs couldn't. Had Ralph Goodale just come out of the, the Public Safety National uh, Security Committee? Yes. So yes. he'd come out of the committee where conservatives were trying to say, we want to call Daniel Jean, the national security advisor, to speak to this committee and explain what was happening. And the liberals used their majority to say, no, you can't call him. Yeah, they act, they, there was actually two motions to ask two different officials. The other one was the Privy Council's um, director of security operations. I don't know exactly what that position does, but I think it's basically they wanted to talk to that official particularly about, you know, how do you vet a list for an, an event following involving the prime minister, you know, who would have seen this list, who would have signed off on it, if anybody. Um, and both for both those officials, um, the, the liberals have a majority. There was five votes to four in both cases um, blocked, uh, allowing either official to come to the to testify at the committee. It's um, it's not unusual for uh, committee witnesses lists to be so partisan. Uh, and, and I don't mean the witness, but for parties to use their majority or minority to try and and, and score political points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one's a very hot file at the moment. There's a lot riding on this, and I think that I, – I, I don't think that the Liberals expected this kind of blowback. No, the problem is what they had decided to do in this case was they had this story that coming from India that was making them look really, really bad. And um, – they wanted, they clearly wanted this information out there, but the way that they, and, you know, I don't have any personal knowledge of what's true or what's not. I had no idea how India's intelligence services operate. I, like, I have no wisdom one way or another on that. But the problem is they put out this piece of information, and then they had nobody who could speak to the follow-up questions about it, which, of course, there are many. If you're alleging uh, rogue elements in the Indian government are trying to undermine and embarrass our prime minister. We're going to have while he's there. About it. Yeah, We're while while he's questions. he's on the ground still there. Yeah, and so I don't know why 
no, the, the prime minister's office appears not to have thought far enough ahead on this, that when people had follow-up questions, they were going to need somebody who could answer those follow-up questions. You're alleging a, a conspiracy in another government. And so instead, they have nothing to say on this, and it's um, both the prime minister and the public safety minister. And, you know, they it, it means that you get a, you know... You get events like what happened today where reporters are asking questions over and over again, good questions, and and even a good minister like Ralph Goodale is unable to answer it. I I think they should just at a certain point put somebody up before a committee or some such and deal with this. Otherwise, it's, it's going to go into next week and who knows how long after that. But, you know, if they were hoping for a 24 hour news cycle and it would be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, India just upped its uh, tariffs on chickpeas from 40 to 60 percent. Uh, is there a connection? I think a lot of people are going to make that connection. Sure. And anything else India does over the next year, five years? I mean, who knows, right? Once you sort of put this float, these, this allegation to every media outlet, which is what happened, um, it it's impossible not to have a million follow-up questions. You know, who is trying to undermine our our prime minister when he's on a trip in a foreign country and, and embarrass him in front of the whole world? If well, if you, case, if, you ask, if you ask the Indian fashion designers, it was the people in Canada that designed <laughs> his outfits because I don't know if you saw that clip. John Oliver had it, and it was an Indian fashion did, designer yeah. saying, yeah. I was very happy when I found out they were Canadian designers yeah. and not Indian because yeah. that's yeah. too much. Uh, speaking with Brian Platt from National Post, before we veer off into fashion choices and late-night comedians, um, he's got a great write-up of how it went down up at National Post. I'll tweet it out in the break. Uh, Brian, you not only were in the scrum with Ralph Goodale, but as that's breaking up, you report that a fellow reporter started yelling, guys, guys, and you turn around and there's Randeep Sarai, who is the other person that the government's blamed. And they've never described how both Randeep Sarai and rogue elements in the Indian government are both to blame. Uh, but I understand you, you got into a scrum with him where you asked if, it, you know, is he part of the rogue elements in the Indian government? Well, the person who really has the most to explain here out of all, I mean, the prime minister's office does, should explain, you know, why they're raising this conspiracy theory. But really, I think the person who has the most to explain out of all of this is Randeep Sarai, who, by his own admission, is the guy who invited a would-be assassin, you know, from you know, from the 1980s, but still tried to kill a cabinet minister to an event in India. I mean, what, what was he thinking? Look, the Americans wouldn't be inviting Lee Harvey Oswald to inaugurations in the 1990s. And this guy is refusing to speak to media and clarify his relationship with Jasper Otwal. And and he has been trying to avoid media. It was an extremely amusing situation where, by chance, he walked out of a different meeting, totally unrelated, that he had been in, and walked straight into a scrum of reporters who were grilling Ralph Goodale over... Randeep Sarai. And then we turn around and there's Randeep Sarai. And so then we ask him the question. He uh, figures at this point he's got no choice but to just fight his way through the reporters to get to the elevator that he's trying to get to. Literally pushing his way through? Um, I mean, no, not shoving. I mean, you know, but we're, we're letting the guy through. We're not like physically blocking his way. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, 
he says one word, which is no. Uh, when we ask somebody asked whether he's a part of this rogue faction, because we don't understand how this is both an Indian government conspiracy and something Randeep Sarai did of his own accord, which is what <laughs> he claims. And so, and we, you know, so are you part of this plot by the Indian intelligence service? He says, no, won't, uh, you know, me and uh, Omar were the two who were chasing him then to the elevator asking what, how well he knows, how long has he known Atwell? How is he a friend of Atwell's? All these questions we have, uh, he wouldn't say anything else and then got into an elevator with Ralph Goodale, who was also trying at that point, trying to just get away from us all. So Ralph Goodale and Randy Sarai in the elevator together. Exactly. Oh, wouldn't you love to be a fly on that wall? Exactly. (laughs) Brian Platt, National Post. Thanks so much for your time, Brian. Yep, thank you. All right, we'll make sure I tweet Brian's article out uh, in the break so that uh, you can see, you know, not just, you'll be able to see the full scrum in the video up at uh, at my website, but if you read Brian's piece at National Post, it gives you the color of how things went down. And I think it's important uh, for figuring out how bizarre today truly was for Ralph Goodale and the Liberal government up on Parliament Hill. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Uh, Mountain Equipment Co-op will no longer be selling your favorite brand of backpack, your favorite brand of paddleboard, your favorite brand of sunglasses, because they're connected to what? Uh, company that sells guns as well. We'll talk about that when we come back. side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Coming up just after 8 o'clock, uh, track down, I believe he's Canada's longest-serving agriculture minister. It's one one of his former staffers here in Ottawa keeps telling me anyway. Uh, Jerry Ritz, retired recently from the House of Commons, but he was uh, agriculture minister for most of Stephen Harper's tenure in government. And he's going to join us just after 8 o'clock to talk about this trade dispute with India. And I, I'm sorry if it seems like I'm going too big and too hard on these sorts of things, but this is a major international diplomatic faux pas by Justin Trudeau, and now it's costing our farmers. Who will it cost tomorrow? What else do we export to India that will be on the chopping block? Well, we'll talk to Jerry Ritz about that just after 8 o'clock, but right now, um, I I got this new water bottle, um, and I'm looking to find out if it's sold by the same company that uh, sells Camelback. It's one of those things that keeps your water cold for a really long time. No, it's not the swell bottle. I'm not I'm not going to pay $58 for a water bottle. I'm not crazy. I went to Winners and got a fab find. But this debate over gun control in the US has turned into boycotts. And 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 all it does, it I mean the companies aren't even waiting to find out if there are actual boycotts before they're dropping things. They're not waiting to find out if people actually stop stopping or stop shopping at certain places. And so today, Mountain Equipment Co-op, which is based in Vancouver, but they have locations here in Ottawa. They announced that they're dropping a whole bunch of different brands of outdoor gear that have nothing to do with guns because the parent company also owns some brands that are associated 
with guns. Here is Mountain Equipment Co-op Chief uh, David uh, Labistor saying he listened to all sides. Remember, this is a Canadian-based company, not an American-based one, where this debate is happening. This one has been a very emotional issue with a lot of different opinions, and um, it it wasn't very clear-cut. The one thing that came through consistently was that most people feel there is a need for greater gun control and a, a greater discussion around gun control. So because... Mountain Equipment Co-op does not sell guns. If you want outdoor gear and guns, you go to Sale, which is where my business will go now. Because Mountain uh, Sale is like walking into Mountain Equipment Co-op, and then if you go upstairs, you've got hunting and fishing stuff. But it's Canada. It's very responsible gun ownership. But because the same parent company also that owns Camelback, which is great backpacks, water hydration systems for serious hikers, Bell Sports. They make how many how many bike helmets do you have that are Bell Sports? Tasco, the the company that makes the uh, the great. Um, I'm trying to remember the term now. The the goggles that you can see with um, binoculars. Jimmy Sticks, one of the premier brands of outdoor pa- uh, stand up paddle boards. These are all some of the companies. Serengeti eyewear, Bollet sunglasses. These are all some of the companies that are owned ultimately by Vista Outdoor. But they also have federal premium ammunition. And this is news to me. It says Savage Arms as well. Savage Arms is a uh, um, they're a fantastic maker of rifles that have a plant out by Peterborough. You want to get kids into shooting, Savage Arms is great because they they make 22s that your kids can use. All done legally and responsibly. But now everything that this company does is in jeopardy because they're affiliated with firearms as well. So the hippies at Mountain Equipment Co-op don't want anything that has ever been near a gun. That's fine. That's everybody's right. But before even waiting to find out if anyone was actually going to do a proper boycott, because Mountain Equipment Co-op doesn't carry any of this. Bush Taka doesn't carry any of the firearms-related stuff. They carry the bike helmets, the backpacks, the binoculars, the stand-up paddle boards, the sunglasses. That's what they carry. But now none of that is going to be available through Bush Taka, through Mountain Equipment Co-op, that's fine. I'll take my business elsewhere because I think that this boycott is a load of crap driven by politics by people that don't understand the problem. And I don't say this lightly. I say this as someone that's got a Mountain Equipment Co-op membership card in my wallet. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk to Jerry Ritz when we come back. With Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Any tariffs or quota that would be imposed on our Canadian steel and industry would be unacceptable. 
Any such decision would have an impact on both sides of the borders, and Canadian rest assured that we will always be there to defend our workers and our steel and industry across this country, and we'll stand firm for Canadian workers. That's Francois-Philippe Champagne. Frankie Bubbles, our international trade minister, is he talking about the latest tariffs from India? No, he's talking about prospective tariffs from the United States that could come next week, which would be bad for our economy, 25% on steel, 10% on aluminum. But we don't know if Canada's in or out of that. But what we do know is that the tariff on chickpeas to India from Canada went from 40% to 60% effective today. Huh. Was it 40%? Went up to 60 Is there a change in the agricultural issue or maybe a change in our diplomatic stance with India? I'm not sure. I want to bring in Jerry Ritz, uh, now retired, recovering politician. He's in a 12-step program to get out of politics. But, Jerry, for a long time, uh, how many years were you agriculture minister uh, under Stephen Harper? A little over eight. A little Uh, over eight eight years. Eight years, yeah. So you've dealt with these, and we've talked about these agricultural irritants in the past when Justin Trudeau was going to China, and you were fair to him. I want everyone to realize that. You're you're conservative, but you understand that it's not partisan when it gets international, necessarily. Uh, And you were fair to him on how he was handling the canola issue. Now we've got this irritant, though, and, and I look at it happening today, a week after they started peddling this conspiracy theory, and I think that there's got to be a connection. Well, there are ramifications when you act like a doofus in, in another country, and then you start blaming them when things don't go right. Uh, we, you know, it's a relatively small market when it comes to chickpeas. It's 10,000 tons, which is worth about $14 million. But the bigger question is the fumigation issue on the other peas and lentils and so on that go into India, and that's a billion and a half dollar project. So, you know, there was some scuttlebutt coming out that uh, Trudeau was saying that they had an agreement that by the end of 2018, but then this happens, and you start to think, okay, are we actually really going to see some movement on that fumigation issue? It's it's a long, you know, we, we've suffered long under under those rules and regulations from India calling us to, to fumigate for products or for, for pests and so on that we don't actually have. But, you know, the customer is right. You do what you need to do. But at the end of the day, if they keep moving the yardstick or changing the rules, it's going to start to interfere with what our farmers call their planting decisions. You know, the acres they subscribe to, peas, lentils, chickpeas, will change. That puts more pressure on canola, drives the price down because there's more of that produced. But the other point to make is what happens to our chickpeas that go to other markets? Because now we're going to have Australians starting to compete with us. We're going to have other producers of chickpeas going into those markets, too, because of this Indian uh, uh, let me ask you about the the economics of this, because a lot of people sitting in cities don't realize how big agriculture is and how the decisions of governments can affect what you call the planting decisions. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've talked about this on air. My, my brother-in-law's family is down in southwestern Ontario. Yep. They've been known for the longest time now as the broccoli kings. That's what they do. But because of the changes brought into labor laws, minimum wage, and other changes by Kathleen Wynne, he's looking at stripping it out and planting chickpeas and lentils. Well, maybe he's not thinking about that now after these decisions. He might go into soybeans or something else. But all of these decisions have ramifications. But how big is the agricultural side when it comes to exports? You said half-billion-dollar decision. That's more than all the trade that Justin Trudeau was able to wrangle up for Canada while he was there. Well, he, he's got $250 million going from us to them, and or 
them to us. We're going to them to us, and we're going to spend five hundred million going the other way. So it's it's a trade deficit, and that's okay in a short term. But in the long term, you want to make sure you've got some balance. You want to make sure that you're getting your your money's worth in these trade agreements. Um, we're we're seeing some real problems with them trying to renegotiate NAFTA. You know, they they were able to finalize CETA and TPP because they were signed in principle. The deal was done. The Liberals have never been master negotiators. They they did one or two trade deals in all the years that they've governed. We did almost 40, when you count the European states, um, in, in our short tenure in government of, of, of 10 years. Um, we know how to do it. And, and the, the the point is they've got great people doing the trade negotiations like Steve Rahul and and others, but they, they need a mandate. They need ministers that understand trade that, that, that keep them moving. Um, you know, these things aren't done in a vacuum. These are self-inflicted wounds. We've got problems with China now because of the fiasco that happened over there. We've got problems in Italy with, with Durham access. We've got problems in the U.S. for access of all of our goods. We rely on them for uh, processing. You, you mentioned Durham, and um, a lot of people don't realize that when they're buying high-end Italian pasta, they're buying Canadian Durham wheat that has been sold to Italians and turned into pasta and sold back to us. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we 50% of the pork we import from the U.S. is Canadian. that has gone down. They've been processed and brought back. <laughs> what? The, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we eat certain cuts of the pork and, and we export the rest of it, but the bulk of it goes into the U.S. and is processed and, and uh, turns around and comes back to us. So, you know, it, it's our own product coming back because we just don't have the processing capacity here to do it. So that's why these trade agreements and these integrated networks are so important. Uh, livestock, pork grain industry, a lot of the farming sector itself, you know, it's a North American integrated marketplace, including Mexico as well. So NAFTA is that much more important to keep those flows going. You know, and you get 15 minutes outside of the the Parliament Hill area, and you're into farmland, and you know that. You you spent a long time, and you didn't live here full-time, but you spent enough time to know that eastern Ontario, the Ottawa Valley, western Quebec an awful lot of farmers, and they've got to be worried about all of these trade deals. I mean, just well, there, the, the, you mentioned problems with sure. NAFTA, China, yep. India, Italy. Japan. Japan. Now, yep. Okay. Agri- agriculture is the third largest contributor to our GDP, and it's the largest processing sector. It's not It's not the auto sector. It's not, nothing like It's agriculture. Now, we're... We're blowing them off. I, I just saw three or four more companies leaving Ontario, the price to power, the carbon tax, and you just pile on, you know, the minimum wage. All these different things get piled on. Business can't operate when they're competing against countries that don't have those added-on costs, so they move. They disappear, and, and we've lost them then. You know, I, I think of Maple Leaf, and when uh, the McCain family went in and took over Maple Leaf in southern Ontario, and I've got family that work at the Maple Leaf plant in Burlington, um, they they did a lot of cost cutting it and it hurt, but it had been a, an older established business that wasn't running efficiently. They changed it well. They laid off a lot of people, but they're still paying good wages uh, for the jobs that are there in the processing, as you say, and, and buying and, the product. And I can I can look at them. Uh, I can imagine them looking and saying, "Hey, our name may, might be Maple Leaf, but maybe we can set up on the other side of the Great Lakes." And process and establish a plant there. Well, we, we you know we see that happen. These are all global commodities, and you know Canada have got some of the most industrious, efficient farmers and processing sectors in the world. But they have to have government uh, working with them. You know, regulatory regimes, taxation regimes, all these different so, costs that are added on. 
uh, start to affect our efficiency and our effectiveness to maintain those jobs here. Speaking with Jerry Ritz, he is a retired MP, longtime agriculture minister, and uh, and I believe retired farmer as well, correct? You're, yes. Okay, yeah, you're fully retired. Enjoy that. Uh, well, you know, there's always things to do. Let me ask you, though, to get back to the original discussion of Justin Trudeau blaming a conspiracy theory in India for his bad decisions and, and bad experience while he was there, uh, do elements like that have real-life trade implications? Do you see a, a correlation between what happened, what started to happen last week, the full-on, full-throated defense of that in the House of Commons this week, and what the Indian government decided to do this morning? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind at all that we're going to see these pushbacks. Uh, I've, I've been involved with, you know, let, let's step back one more, the, the trip to China, which was anything but productive. And I was involved with two or three other Chinese companies that were very close to making deals, partnerships, investments in Canada. They've now pulled back because they're not sure where this government's going to go and where it's going to land at the end of the day. So th- those, are, those are harmful. Those are hurtful. Uh, it, it takes years to gain that back. They're now looking at Australia. And once they start putting those billions of dollars in investment into Australia, then they're not available to Canada. So now we're competing against Australia with Chinese backing into the Chinese market. Guess who's going to win? So yeah. there's huge ramifications to these things. But at least we have a gender-focused budget that, yeah. you know, men and women will be poorer, but uh, it, you know, it'll be together. All the women in my life are laughing at that, Brian. Uh, they, they don't need government telling them how important they are. They get that. They understand that. Uh, they realize that this is an economy where everyone has equality of opportunity, but what the government's trying to do, the Liberal government's trying to do, is come up with this equality of outcome, which can't be done. All right. Jerry Ritz, thanks so much for the time tonight. Anytime, Brian. All right. All the best. Uh, when we come back, actually, let's delve into that uh, that whole issue of gender and gender equality, because uh, one of our local city councillors wants to bring that to City Hall. Diane Deans says we need a women's bureau at City Hall to make things more equal. Really? We'll talk about that when we come back. News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. I have said this from the beginning of this campaign that he deserves the right to clear his name. And if he is able to clear his name before this election campaign that ends on June 7th, yes, I would allow him to run. That is the voice of Christine Elliott, one of three women in the Ontario PC leadership debate last night. Three women out of four candidates. Hmm. That doesn't seem gender balanced. That seems unfair. We should take one of them out, not allow them to run, force another man in there. Seems about right, don't you think? Uh, We've played clips of two of the women, Christine Elliott, Carolyn Mulroney. Why not play Tanya Granick-Allen? I pledge that if I'm leader, I'm going to take those wind turbines. I'm going to rip them right out of the ground. That got her a lot of applause and a lot of kudos from Bill Carroll this morning. I play these women, not because I want to talk about Ontario politics just yet, but I will. I play them because Diane Deans thinks there's not enough women in politics. So she, 
Diane, being someone that comes from the NDP side of the Liberal Party, wants to try and use government to force more women to run in politics. I'm willing to bet that if we had a proper breakdown of the city of Ottawa staff, we'd probably find out there's more women than men. Because I can tell you at the federal level, where I've looked at the stats on this, women are, to use the term used by the people that like to keep track of all these things, overrepresented according to their labor force participation and availability rate. Women are 54% of the federal public service, and yet they're not 54% of the available workforce because women have a lower workforce participation rate than men do for various reasons, including wanting to look after their own children, a decision women make on their own, for the most part. So Diane Deans, though, looks around the council table and says, but there's not enough women on council, and there's only three out of the nine senior managers that are women. There have long been strong women at Ottawa City Hall. Um, Isn't this one of the earliest cities to have a woman woman as mayor? Charlotte Witten? We've had Marion Dewar as mayor. We've got a whole plaza name for her. Ottawa had women as mayors before it was fashionable. And we've had senior managers, some of whom recently retired. So, yeah, that's going to drop the numbers if a man gets the job. But do we have to have opportunity... Uh, equality of opportunity or equality of outcome. Diane Deans seems like she wants to go the equality of outcome route. I don't think that we are projecting a woman-friendly environment. If we were, I think you would see more women putting their name on ballots and standing for office. Is it, you know, how do you project a a women-friendly environment at City Hall? Again, I put it to you that Find me the stats, I'll guarantee you, more than 50%, more than 51%, more than 52%, probably more than 55% of the staff at Ottawa City Hall are women. So I'm going to bet that, okay, go, go to a public library and find me a man working there. You can probably find a man working there. But how many women for each man working at the library? I know the city doesn't run the schools, but we could do the same sort of thing. We have a one-way vision when it comes to gender equality in this country. I've heard that libraries across this country are upwards of 95% female. It's more than 90% women when it comes to uh, nurses. And we already know that although perhaps more men are doctors than women... The graduating classes of, out of medical school are more than 60% women now. If we want to get into the teaching profession, in the elementary schools, it is above 85% women. So do we really want gender equality in all professions or just the ones that are fashionable? So we've got a big push to get women into construction in the federal budget. We've got a big push which I don't understand. It's the most precarious work going. It pays well when it's good, and it's horrible when it's not. I've, Having lived with that as a, as a kid, believe you me, not always fun. But Diane Deans wants us to install a women's bureau and someone at the council level 
to look at everything through a gender lens. I'm not sure what that means. And, and I don't say that just because I, I've got a twig and berries and that makes me dumb. I've got a dummy stick between my legs so I can't understand. I just don't know how policy is different for men and women. Shouldn't we be looking at policy that is best for all and not looking at Marxist politics? If the federal government can put a gender uh, focus on women's issues, then certainly we can do it here. And there is no doubt in my mind that um, we could be projecting a more woman-friendly image of our city. So the federal government mentions gender 359 times in their budget, but doesn't actually do anything to make life better for women, doesn't do anything to improve the economy. When the economy goes up, everybody's wages go up, everybody's income goes up, families are happier, families have less stress. By the way, when recessions hit, and we could be due for one soon, you know who's least likely to be unemployed? Women. Having gone through this a couple times, looking at the the stats. Why? Because women are overrepresented in places like Ottawa City Hall and the city civil service and the provincial civil service and the federal civil service, and they don't lay off in bad times. But the private sector does, and those construction jobs and those STEM jobs and everything else, those will disappear if they're not government jobs. Diane, you're out to lunch on this one, and I hope that council rejects your idea. We need policy based on what is good for all citizens. We need policies good for my sons and my daughters, not special policies for my daughters. They can look after themselves, watch them handle their brothers. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580CFRA. Stephen, who sings this song? Does it stay on there? There's Sean Mendez. Okay, I mean, I picked them all, but they're just snippets, and I... uh, I don't always know who they are. And for a little while, <clears throat> one of the songs that we used to come into with was from Headley. At least one or two of them were. <clears throat> now, of course, nobody in Canada is playing Headley. And uh, what started as anonymous accusations on Twitter that made me uncomfortable uh, eventually led to, well, not anonymous accusations of something far worse right up and including claims of rape by a young woman from here in Ottawa. And now the band has essentially gone on hiatus. I mean, before they went on hiatus, they were dropped by the Junos as a performing act. They withdrew from the Junos for consideration from the three categories they were in. Then they, um, they switched and, uh, or sorry, they were dropped by their management, dropped by the opening acts, Bell Media Chorus, CBC, all of them said, we are not playing their music anymore. I'm sure Rogers did as well. I just may not have seen the uh, um, seen the the announcement of that. And I've, I've said on air at times, especially in the early days, 
I, I'm uncomfortable about conviction by Twitter mob because there can be facts, there can be extenuating circumstances, all of that. But the way this band has reacted, um, it is not it is not indicative of someone that is innocent. Jacob Hogard uh, has walked away, and he's been the focus of this. And I know Jeffrey Johnston joining me now from the Kinsmoog Standard. And Jeffrey, we normally talk about very high-level international affairs stuff. But you said you wanted to you wanted to get a couple of words in about Headley before we started tonight because we both have teenage girls and mine are not overly enamored with Headley, but I think they've liked their music in the past and yeah, you know, teenage girls fickle. Who you know, who knew? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my my daughter's fourteen, um, and Headley was in Kingston on Tuesday night, and one of uh, my daughter's friends um, got Headley tickets uh, for Christmas long before all this broke and so she invited my daughter you know a long time ago to this and you know the, the girls didn't want to break the date um so you know we're not going to keep them away from it um so my daughter and i had a little time out tonight together um we uh we did a little bit of shopping uh we do you know i'm pretty open with her so we went bra shopping we bought a, a knapsack we got a nap uh we got a, a milkshake and we also talked about headley and this was you know sort of a a moment to, to open this conversation because you know it's kind of hard when you you got a kid because kids you know seem to be growing up a lot faster and you know you you, you want your the best for your kid but you know kids today have a lot of pressures on them that you know I didn't face when I was that age and uh, so this was an opportunity to talk to my daughter about you know issues of consent now I, my daughter's 14 I don't want her having sex at 14 but um, you know, I I said you know, do you know about you know all of this that's going on with Headley? And she does, and we talk pretty frankly about this. And I asked her what he said during the show, Jacob Hogarth, mm-hmm. and he said that well, you know, they lived the rock and roll lifestyle, and they did some stuff that they now regret. And I said to her, you know, what he's saying is not consistent with what actually is what they're talking about. And I said, you know, the rock and roll lifestyle, and I don't recommend this, but it's it's drugs, it's alcohol, and it's promiscuity. And I said, I don't recommend that, and that's a bad way to live. But I said, what's alleged against him? And it's not proven, nothing's been proven in a court of law against him, but what he is alleged to have done is actually rape. Now, I've read the allegations. They're very, we're not going to get into it on there because it's, it, they're very explicit. But I yeah, said, quite, you know, quite explicit. And, yeah. you know, as I said, uh, you know, vague. Uh, allegations. I'm uncomfortable with convicting somebody on that, or just a- anonymous. Hey, I'm so and so, just on Twitter, and nobody has checked them out to say, you know, all right, did this happen? Did you tell anyone? Okay, talk to your mother, talk to three friends. Those sorts of things always bother me. But the, the latest story is is of a young woman is very explicit, and she admits that she made some mistakes in this, but. She also says, I told them no, I told them to stop. Exactly, and that's the thing. The law is very clear. You can uh, give consent and then withdraw consent. At any point during an encounter, you can say, okay, I'm uncomfortable with this, stop. And the, the other partner must stop. So my, my takeaway from all this and my message to other parents out there is these are uncomfortable conversations, but we really do need to have them with our sons and our daughters because we don't want our kids getting caught up in really 
um, difficult situations. And if you can have this conversation with your child, if, God forbid, something happens, then, you know, hopefully you've, you've built this trust up and they'll come to you and talk to you about this stuff. So that's my takeaway from all of this. And have the conversation yourself. Don't hire someone to do it. That's right. I don't know if you saw that story that's out there. Yeah, no. Parents I... are hiring someone to have the talk yeah. with their kids. That's that's ridiculous. And I, they're, I... they're, not, they're not relying on the teacher in school or their doctor. They're hiring someone. I've always been open with my daughter, and I don't want stuff to be embarrassing. So as I said tonight, we went bra shopping because she, she does ballet, and she needs a special kind of bra um, to go under her body. I'm sure, she loves you talking about this on air, Jeffrey. But, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be <laughs> like to- totally open about this stuff. And then when it comes to, you know, other you know products we have to buy, we, we yeah. she and I go to the uh, the, the, uh, the shoppers drug mart and and we go and do it. And so I wanted always to be open. I don't want anything to be weird between us. And when issues arise, I want there to be that trust and. As I say, you know, unfortunately, kids her age are sexually active, kids her age are doing drugs, and I think if we want to steer our children in the right way, we have to take control of educating our children and talking to them frankly about stuff. And we can't just pretend that all the kids are little angels, and we have to be be open. But you can't just rely on the school system or, as that story said, hire somebody. That's just ridiculous, you know? I'm a, where, I'm a father. You, I'm not going to abrogate my responsibility. Where do you find somebody for that? Craigslist? Uh, Angie's List? What do you do? I I don't even know where you'd find somebody for that. Uh, and I'd, I'd want a lot of references. Yeah, I think <laughs> I'd, I'd want to put them through a police check, and then I'd put them under the hot lights myself. All right. Uh, Jeffrey, um, wanted to talk to you about your column last week on North Korea, and it's very timely with what's going on with the Olympics. Um, just you and I normally talk on Friday nights, and I haven't worked in a couple of Friday nights, and I won't be on tomorrow. Can I put you on hold? We'll, we'll take a quick commercial break and, and come back to talk about uh, your latest column, because persecution in North Korea, they, they got a, a, just a bizarre wave of glowing press in the uh, in the early days of the Olympics about how wonderful they were. You've got some information I think folks need to know. Absolutely. Okay, quick break, then back with Jeffrey Johnston on the dark side you didn't hear from CNN and others. Although, kudos, I'll say CBC. I'll explain that when we come back. News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Well, Canada had its best showing ever at the Pyongyang Winter Olympics in South Korea, and the whole world was talking about virtue and more and their incredible ice dancing. They were talking about our incredible uh, snowboarding team with uh, what what we had Max Parrott. We had uh, Mark McMorris. We had Seb Toots, who won the gold. That's his nickname. But at the beginning of the games, before we were really piling up the golds, the silvers, and the bronzes, part of the big discussion was about North Korea. 
and how North Korea was winning the diplomatic gold because, you know, in in opposition to cold Mike Pence, they sent Kim Jong-un's sister and she was wonderful and everyone loved her and they sent that cheering section. And then stories started to come out and I said I'd give kudos to CBC. First place I heard this was as everyone else was just doing stories on how great the the cheer squad was, CBC pointed out that in 2005, when there was another games, I believe it was a, an Asian regional games held in South Korea, the cheer squad went back. Several of the people on the cheer squad, mostly women, talked about what they saw in South Korea and how good it was, and they were sent to labor camps. We always have to remember that this is the type of administration, the type of regime it's not even administration. It's a regime that we're dealing with. And that's the, the subject of Jeffrey Johnson's column from last Thursday, last Friday, about um, the persecution that goes on there. And in particular, Jeffrey, you do talk about the cheer squad, but you're also talking about the persecution of religious people, in particular Christians. South Korea is an incredibly Christian country, huge Presbyterian uh, community in particular. And in the north? even though that was there for generations before, it's forbidden now. Absolutely, yes. Uh, last week it was uh, I focused on the plight of Christians, and in tomorrow's Kingston Week Standard, and you can read it at thewig.com, I talk about um, the general human rights um, situation there and how North Koreans are defying their government uh, in subtle ways through free enterprise and, and using computer technology to get information from outside. Yeah, North Korea has about... 300,000 secret believers in Jesus Christ, uh, according to Open Doors. Open Doors is an international organization that that advocates on on behalf of Christians and the persecuted church. Now, um, I call them secret believers because um, they have to uh, worship, study, um, and pray in private, because if they are found out, um, the regime um, will arrest them, and they're taken away. And not only is the Christian taken away, uh, the, the the children are taken away, the uh, the parents are taken away, uh, the friends are taken away, and they're put in um, these tiny little cells, overcrowded. Um, they're interrogated, they're tortured. If they decide to um, go forward with um, a prosecution, uh, they then send the the Christians to um, uh, political re-education camps, and uh, in this place, they uh, they make them work. Uh, 10 to 12 hours a day, and they feed them only uh, 500 calories a day. And then at night, they make them um, go through uh, political re-education. They make them study uh, um, the, Kim, the, the family of Kim Jong-un and the ideology, because uh, North Korea does not have an official religion. They have the cult of the personality. And every North Korean person, every week, um, must spend hours um, studying uh, the family, the writings, and the poetry of uh, Kim Jong-un and uh, um, the whole ideology. And they all have to memorize 100 pages um, of all this you know, crappy ideology wow. stuff. It's just it's insane. It, and, it, and, and yet, just to put this in perspective, because people will often say, well, it's an Asian country, they're not Christian. Uh, Christianity's been in Asia for a very long time. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau was just in... Uh, India, where the uh, Apostle Thomas is said to have traveled and took Christianity to that region in the years after Jesus' death. It it has been all over. It's been in uh, the Korean Peninsula 
for well over a century, and in in the South, it's huge. It's huge. There's more than 20 million Christians, and about half of them are Presbyterians. My guess is in the North before the war, it was similar. Yes, yes, yes. And and I I also interviewed um, uh, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, uh, uh, a gentleman called Benedict Rogers, who is... uh, the, the regional uh, expert for uh, East Asia. And, and he said, quote, behind the smiling faces of cheerleaders at the Olympics lies the world's most brutal regime, a dictatorship that seeks total control over its people and that denies any space for dissent or beliefs other than absolute devotion to the ruling Kim family. So this is a brutal regime, and they, they consider Christians um, foreign enemies, even though, as you say, um, Christianity has been in on the uh, Korean Peninsula for a very long time. Now, if they decide that they're not even going to try you, put you before one of their mock trials, they send you to a labor camp, which is even worse than the political re-education camp. And a a 500-calorie-a-day diet? You don't even get that in the labor camp, Brian. They said that these labor camps um, are Nazi-style labor camps, so there's no chance of release. There's no chance of escape. So if you go to a labor camp, you will die in the labor camp. Now, if you get caught with even a Bible, Brian, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be imprisoned, and they might execute you. They execute Christians all the time. Now, they used to do it publicly by firing squad, but they found that ordinary North Koreans found it too upsetting to see fellow citizens executed. So they don't do it in public anymore. They just shoot you in a labor camp or put you to death there. Um, it is brutal, and the world does not know about this, and they really, and, really should. And, and by the way, with those people who say, well, they're, you know, Christianity is foreign, the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights guarantees that every person in the world has the right to freedom of religion, belief, or conscience. And but but you know what I'm talking about. There are people that believe that we should have every religion on the planet here, uh, but that if there's something that they consider a Western religion, then it shouldn't be in Korea. It shouldn't be in the Middle East. It shouldn't be in Asia. Yeah, and that's that's really unfortunate, and I, I, I don't agree with those people. I want to share one thing with, with the listeners. Now, Open Doors, um, they, they obviously have contact in North Korea, um, and some people have been reaching out to me who, who have escaped from there. And, by the way, China um, is a recipient for a lot of people who escaped from North Korea, and they send them back. They send these Christians back, and if the Christian is sent back, they're either going to be put in one of these labor camps where they're going to die, or they're going to be executed. So the Trudeau government should consider that when it's negotiating a free trade agreement with China. They should say, you know, we're not going to have anything to do with you if you're sending people back to be executed. But Open Doors got this uh, letter smuggled out of North Korea, and it was from the underground church. And and basically it's, it thanked the outside world for their love and concern, and that, that they say that, you know, uh, it's just, quote, we remember the faithful and the loving hands of our supporters and our brothers and sisters across the world. And it's a unquote. And so, you know, we really must keep these folks in mind because we're always concerned about nuclear weapons, and rightly so, and war on the Korean Peninsula. But we we shouldn't overlook the terrible human rights situation in North Korea, especially the persecuted church. Because I say there are three hundred thousand people there, and if the North Korean regime had its way, it would kill all of them. 
It is sad. It's unreal. Uh, tomorrow, your uh, your piece will focus on, well, it'll be up later tonight, uh, early tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah. It focuses on how North Koreans are pushing back against this regime. Uh, you know, it can be the little things that make regimes fall. You remember the Berlin Wall. What did they say it was? Levi's and rock and roll? Yes, and, and what's happening in... Uh North Korea, and CBC had a piece on this as well, is the USB stick. You know, that little little thing you plug into your computer. Um, foreign movies are smuggled in. Books are smuggled in that way. And the people are, are, are getting around the state propaganda, and they're finding out what's going on. Also, there are smugglers who uh, bring in mobile phones from China, and they're able to contact uh, family and friends in South Korea and get news. And this is one of the most trusted sources of news in North Korea, but it's all illicit. And and the good thing is, Brian, that the North Korean regime is corrupt, and so a lot of officials will now take bribes. So you can start to get around the, the oppressive apparatus of the state if you've got money. So sooner or later, there's going to be a tipping point, and people are going to realize that there's another way of life. Because that's why when you were talking earlier, they executed those uh, those cheerleaders. They don't want people to know what the, the other side is like. But we live in the information age, and something like the USB stick or the mobile phone will eventually spread the seeds of dissent, and then we'll oh. see the regime collapse. I love that idea. Jeffrey, thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much for the work you do uh, in exposing all of this. Thank you, Brian. You can read Jeffrey Johnston in the Kingston Whig Standard, and uh, that piece tomorrow just sounds fascinating. It's hopeful, it's uplifting, uh, but do read last week's on persecuted Christians. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Ontario politics when we come back. Caroline Mulroney sitting down with Graham Richardson. We've got polls on who's in front, who's on first, third base when we come back. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I don't think that we are projecting a woman-friendly um, uh, environment. If we were, I think you would see more women putting their name on ballots and standing for office. We're not women-friendly in Ottawa. That's what Diane Dean says. I want to hear from the ladies of the CFRA Nation. What do you think? What stops women from putting their names on ballots? Because as I pointed out, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. Give me half an hour and maybe I'll find them. The workforce in the average civil service, regardless of level, skews overwhelmingly towards women. So it's not as if there aren't women in the city workforce. We're not in Bill Morneau's Canada where it's 1952 and women are just entering the workforce. My word. I mean, that budget the other day, it made it sound like, well, the little ladies are going to wrap up their aprons and we have to help them. I honestly don't know anyone of uh, my generation or younger that has been told they can't do a job because they're a woman. 
Maybe they didn't have the skills, but hey, that's the type of thing men have to deal with too. Not bilingual. Okay, not getting the job. Um, you don't have the proper degree not getting the job. Uh, Brian, you're applying to be a singer and you can't sing. Uh, yeah, not getting the job. So, I'll just tell you this quickly. When my uh, when my parents came to Canada in 1968, my mother applied for a job at a bank and she got it, but she was expecting to do one thing and then was told, no, you can't. And my mother was actually told that she couldn't work on computers in Canada because she was a woman, even though she'd been doing that in her old job in Scotland. I know we like to think we're also advanced here. So I understand it did happen before, but I don't think it does now. And anybody that does that, well, you're a bloody fool. But Diane Deans thinks that we need to have a a women's commissioner and a women's bureau because the city just isn't friendly enough for women. So ladies of the CFRI Nation, do you agree or disagree with Diane Deans when she says this? If the federal government can put a gender uh, focus on women's issues, then certainly we can do it here. And there is no doubt in my mind that uh, we could be projecting a more woman-friendly image of our city. I have asked for two things. One, a special advisor on women's issues at the council level, but also a women's bureau embedded into our bureaucracy that will begin to update our policies and practices through a gender lens. A gender lens. Ladies, do you need a gender lens to make sure that your city runs properly? If you think so, please do call. If you disagree, please do call. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Because here's what I think will happen. I think that Diane Deans has put forward this motion. It's seconded by Catherine McKenney. And I think Jan Harder and Marianne Wilkinson will feel the pressure of the sisterhood to vote with it. And if all four women vote with it, then you're going to have the NDP wing of council vote for it. And that will get them close to half. And then all of the other members of council, all the other male members of council will be told, well, you've just got that dummy stick between your leg. I do love how we get told things like that. But that's fine. That's fine. Um, nothing wrong with referring to men in that way. Um, and so you should just vote because this is what women want. And so this will pass without proper debate, without proper thought, and will go through. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. I'll get to calls in a second, but not a single woman calling on this yet. Last night on stage, we had three different women pushing their political viewpoints. Three out of the four candidates on stage were women trying to say that they have what it takes to not only lead the PC Party of Ontario, 
but the province of Ontario. Saying you've cleared your name and clearing your name are different things. I'm glad that he's taken, uh, he's taken the step to do that. Um, it's the right thing for the party. Um, and so uh, in terms of whether he can run for me, it depends on whether he's able to clear his name in time for the election. Carolyn Mulroney talking about Patrick Brown and whether he can run. Christine Elliott saying, hey, let's keep the focus on where it belongs, on Kathleen Wynne and the Ontario Liberals. I've been a proud progressive conservative member for over 25 years, and I'm the only one on this stage that's already served as an MPP for nine years. And I think it's really important that we remember why we're all here. We all have to come together when this is all over, because the star target here is Kathleen Wynne, not each other. And then Tanya Granick Allen, the firecracker of the night, talking about ripping windmills out of the ground. I pledge that if I'm leader, I'm going to take those wind turbines and I'm going to rip them right out of the ground. And here's why. Because families in Ontario are burdened by the cost of we're, that we're giving to these companies who generate electricity we don't need, that we sell at a loss to Americans, our friends south of the border. That's That's ridiculous. So those wind turbines will be gone. And we have it within our purview to do so, and I'll make sure that we set the parameters properly because we have the constitutional ability to do so. So those wind turbines, gone. I wonder if, did did Tanya run that through a gender lens before she committed to being the Incredible Hulk? physically ripping the wind turbines out of the ground. Did she put that through a gender-based analysis and a gender lens? I'm not sure. Ladies of CFRA Nation, I'm, I'm putting it to you because uh, like on so many issues, I'll be told I don't get a vote because I'm just a man. Uh, Diane Dean says we need a woman's bureau. But I'll also put it to you. I want to hear from you about the debate. Um, I heard instant reaction last night. You've had 24 hours to digest. You heard Caroline Mulrooney in her uh, appearance with Graham Richardson on CTV News. You can find the whole thing at CTV Ottawa. Where are you standing on this on this leadership debate? Voting starts tomorrow. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five. Let's go to Mary. Mary, I don't know where your sisters with the traveling pants are, but you're the only woman calling in on this so far. <laughs> well. I couldn't help it, okay, when I heard you say that it's okay to call to, to, to call men like they're dummies because of the stick there, the dummy stick there, I disagree completely with the way that men are being de- denigrated, they're being squashed. The society is trying to squash men and little boys. They're feminizing little boys, okay, and... This whole thing about, like, we don't need affirmative action anymore in any situation, okay? Because the work has well, been the stat, done. Well, the stats would back you up on that. The stats back me up? Yeah, yeah. of course. Look, we fought that fight in, 19, in the 70s, okay, and even in the 60s. My, my mom got her first job at Expo 67, okay? So, and, and, that, and things started back then. We, we did the work. We did the work. I, so, so stop all this crap. It, the only reason they're doing it is to split up a society and to make little subgroups and, and have them fight against one and against them, making some more important than others. It's, and making, like, victims. You know, some people have to be victims. and so, Always, you know, it's disgusting. I am, and 
never ever say that, Brian, that it's okay to say that about well, men. I, I don't okay? think it is. I just think that uh, somebody could say that and they would get a pass on it. Oh, of course they will. But try to say uh, something as ridiculous uh, about women. I don't even know what the term I would use is, and I'm not going to say any no, other no, no, terms. We're not but do nothing like that there because we don't want to get sued, eh? Because you never know. Because there's new laws, hate speech, right? Right. But so, I, I, I could not. I could not say the same thing about women and keep my job. Of course. I, and not. I'm not saying Diane Dean said that she didn't. But no. so no. as a woman, though, do you think that government policy, federal, provincial, or municipal? That it needs some kind of gender lens. No, no, this is this is crap. It's it's uh, according to your qualifications. Uh, do you have the qualifications to do the, uh, whichever job you're 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 you're, you're you know you want to do? It has nothing to do with what's between your legs. It has to do with what's between your ears. All right. Huh? Thanks for the call, Mary. Okay, take care. All right, let's see Bye. if the uh, the sisterhood of the traveling pants agrees with Mary. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Uh, we'll get to all your calls, the men and the women. I won't make the men wait longer or anything. Don't worry. We'll get to you when we uh, when we come back. of the unofficial opposition. Brian Lilly is on your side. Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. They say acquiescence is agreement, so I will assume that uh, I'm offside of the female uh, listeners to this radio program and that they're on board with Diane Deans because uh, so far just Mary calling in off Mary was uh, was quite adamant she's not on board with that Diane Dean says that uh, Ottawa City Hall is not um, friendly to women we need a women's bureau and a women's ombudsman at the city council level just to deal with councillors and we need more women on council I'm never going to argue against more women on council but how do you do that if women aren't running do you set aside seats just for women? She wants a gender-based analysis of all city policies as well. That sounds like a job creation program. I say just have policies that are good for the citizens as a whole, the men and the women. Call me crazy. Call me old-fashioned. Call me at 521-TALK, 521-8255. And you heard Jerry Ritz on with me. He says that the... The problem with India is that Trudeau insulted them, and yes, he sees a direct correlation between the increase in tariffs from 40% to 60% on chickpeas and other areas in agriculture where it's costing us a ton of money on industries worth billions. Yeah, it's related to how Trudeau is treating this country. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Patrick, you're on Beyond the News. Brian, first time, long time. How are you? I'm well. Your thoughts on uh, Diane Deans and what she has to say? I don't want to take uh, Mary's vote. Um, that was powerful and so true what she just what she just said. But I, I don't want to steal this man's thunder. I don't know if anybody's followed Jordan Peterson, and he he breaks it down to to a level that, that that's that's unreal and so down the middle. I, I've had she, Jordan on the show. Um, very familiar with his work. He's, he's unreal, and the way he's fighting free speech amongst 
many other subjects and the way he's being attacked is, is unreal. Um, but the way he breaks it down and it, it's so true and Trudeau started this with his 50, 50 cabinet without a merit based system. And, and if you look at the MPs, they're voted by us, by men and women and it's 70, 30, it's a 70, 30 split. So how can you, have then Trudeau go 50-50. He started this. He, so, he so, started this. Well, okay, but some of the women in his cabinet have outperformed the men. I think of people like Christia Freeland. 100%. I can't speak for it. It's merit-based. I believe merit-based. I, I work in a male-dominated industry, and I have a 21-year-old female that, 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 that is rising so quickly. And, and, and the way she's treated, um, or the way she causes shock and awe, just by being 21 years old and the, and, and and trying to be um, a, a, a player, she she gets a strike against her, and it's unbelievable how uh, it's so hard to explain. It's it's so hard to explain, but Jordan Peterson explains it perfectly. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll have to have Jordan on again soon. Thanks for the call, Patrick. Let's go to uh, who's next, uh, Stefan. Stefan, you're on Beyond the News. Hi there, Brian. Hello. Yeah, I just um, I was just like you. I'm, I'm we are the same age. We grew up in an era where, with the feminism, we watched a lot of the shows that have evolved a lot of women in the, in the different careers. You know, I, I decided, you know what, put up the white flag and just decided no longer to fight women with what they can and cannot do, kind of thing. You know, and do whatever they want. Exactly. I just don't want to fight over. It. I don't know why we keep putting these uh, gender wars like. As far as I think, we should. It, it, it's ended a long time ago. We, women are free to do whatever they want. We're not forcing them to go into any kind of career they don't want. Hey, but, okay, but let me ask you: uh, Is there any push to have more men in teaching or nursing? No, I don't. I don't see that. Eighty-five percent of teachers at the elementary school level in Canada are women. Uh, yeah, I believe it's over ninety percent of nurses are women. They are very well-paying jobs with. Great pensions. Yeah, that's something they choose to go to. Yeah, and and more men could be encouraged to go into that because that's what we're told. We have to encourage women to go into construction because the pay is good. Well, the pay is good when you're working, Stefan, but when uh, the job finishes and there isn't another job to go to, you're on pogey. Yeah. Nobody, I don't think anybody's stopping women from going to that kind of job. We just don't have to, I don't know what the, what, let's push them into it. Yeah. They don't want it. All right. Thanks for the call, Stefan. Okay. All, All right. right. Let's go to uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, you're on Beyond the News. Hi. Um, I was just calling because um, I agree with you in terms of how would we ever apply these kind of theories, but I think these kind of practices. But I think that it's necessary to recognize that women are grossly underrepresented in politics. And, I mean, there have to be steps that are taken, and maybe this is just the first step towards that. How do we fix that, though? Because, I mean, right now, women are grossly overrepresented in the PC leadership debate, or leadership race. It's three against one. Should should, be... should we have, uh, say, that, well, there's got to be parity, so one of the women has to drop out, or we have to force two more male candidates to run? No, definitely not. And I don't think this is anything that can be changed in our lifetime. These are not practically easily solved issues. But I think it, it has to start from a change in, in perspective and perception and, and the way we raise our little girls and how we teach them what they can be when they grow up and encouraging them to not 
adopt these strict gender roles. But when you have people like Mary who did date herself and, and she calls in and says, no, everything's equal. Well, as a 27-year-old professional woman, everything is not equal. Okay, the way I conduct myself in the boardroom is not equal to the way a man conducts himself. And I'm always conscious of that, as is every woman in Canada. So to disregard that, you know. But, is, but has there been, as a 27-year-old woman, is there anything that you have been told you can't get this job because you're no, a woman? No, but I feel that I have to adapt myself to a male culture. And, and I mean, that is, you know, a, the perspective of a lot of women. I'll tell you, I've I've got four teenagers, two boys, two girls, and the boys are interested in politics and the girls are not. Mm -hmm. And they've grown up, all of them, hearing me talk about it. I might be a little obsessed. Uh, (laughs) And the the girls aren't interested. You go up on Parliament Hill, you find lots of women that are interested working Mm -hmm. for all parties as either MPs or staffers, advisors, all of those things. Uh, but women don't seem as interested in running, and I don't know how you fix that uh, to have a, a parity uh, unless you're forcing yeah. quotas. And I don't know that that many Canadians want to say, okay, well, I, I get to vote for two councillors and I have to pick one man and one woman. Diane Deans has run against a bunch of men. I've lived in her ward a long time. She keeps running against men and beating them. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes four and five men, and they're doofuses, and uh, that's why she keeps winning. No, I totally agree with you on gender parity. It's just irrational. It's the same for minorities as well, ethnic minorities. But I think to have a board to look over city policies and ensure that, I mean, obviously not every single one, but things that would, you know, potentially have a male bias. I don't think that's extraordinary. Thanks for the call, Rebecca. All right. And, And call again. Call again. Absolutely. It's 930. On Beyond the News, back with more of your calls at 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. that there was discretions, that there was more ballots, lights going off, anything along those lines, that's it. They're going to be reopened up. Doug Ford at last night's PC leadership debate. Now, polls put him first, uh, along with Christine Elliott, Carolyn Mulroney way back in third, and Tanya Granick allen in fourth. We'll get into details about that poll and how I think that this could all break down a little later on. But the main point that I've been asking you about is, and... We've had two women call in, one definitely against Diane Deans, one mm, straddling the fence, saying some of what she says is good, some of what she says is bad. That's not straddling the fence. Rebecca had uh, clear opinions, but she said there's some good in what Dean says, some bad. What does Diane Dean say? That Ottawa City Hall is not a friendly place for women. Would like to hear from you on that. Also, 
we've got this ongoing story about India and what's going on. Ralph Goodale trying to dodge questions earlier today about Canada blaming India for making Justin Trudeau look bad. Classified material. And I, and, I, and, and I cannot do that. I cannot do that. There's an official who provided a background briefing to reporters, and you're saying that information is classified. If it is so classified, why did journalists, why were journalists privy to that call? And why can't that official brief committee? What, what, what the official may or may not have said to journalists, I don't know. I wasn't privy to that. But what I know from watching this conversation this morning is that... Okay, I've heard enough for Ralph Goodale, which doesn't take all that long. Uh, Ralph Goodale, the public safety minister, trying to say you know, he's backing the government on this idea of a conspiracy theory with India. Well, that conspiracy theory, as you heard in my conversation with Jerry Ritz, is costing us economically. A tariff on chickpeas was just boosted from 40 to 60 percent today. Other non-tariff measures that India puts on our agricultural products costing sectors that we're talking in the hundreds of millions, definitely way more than Justin Trudeau was able to sign for deals for Canada while he was there. And this government just keeps keeps on trucking. At least now they're finally getting some questions from the media, and kudos to all those reporters in that bizarre scrum today. By the way, if you want to see that full scrum, you can see it at brianlilly.com and... Let me know what you think. Drop a comment. Um, send me an email. Tweet at me. Let me know. But it is it is ridiculous what they've been putting forward. Let's go to five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility or one eight hundred five eight zero CFRA. Let's go to Dan in Ottawa South. Dan, you're on Beyond the News. Boy, oh boy, so much to talk about, eh? First of all, the Trudeau crap show. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I mean, this guy keeps going on and on, and Ralph Goodale and his mouth. I mean, when are people going to learn that this government is just a disaster? Anyway, that's my comment on that. Number two, um, Diane Deans. Uh, I think it's been 30 years of her constantly, you know, stirring up stuff, and she's doing it again. Uh, Let's look at that. Not quite 30 years. She was elected in 1994, and she's been reelected every time, but says um, Ottawa City Hall's not friendly to women. Whatever. She's been there for a long time, and I I keep remembering all the things she's dug up. But this this is ridiculous. I mean, there's three women, and as you know, and you already mentioned, three women uh, running. and, And I'll tell you that, Tanya, holy smoke, she's a firecracker. There's no reason why women like that cannot run, whether it be provincial or uh, federal or municipal. Uh, it, it's not, nobody's holding them back. I don't understand where she's getting this idea that it's, it's, it's against women. It's not. Look That's at se- several of the ridings locally for the Ontario PC party. Uh, in uh, Nepean. We've got Lisa McLeod, longtime MPP. Right. In Carleton, we've got Goldie Gamari, a new candidate. I'm trying to think of some of the others. Uh, we've got Mary Lee Fullerton out in Canada, uh, who is running in Ottawa, West Nepean. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah, Carmen McGregor. 
the PC party in, in Eastern Ontario has a, a strong slate of women running for them. Right. That was not done by a quota. That was not done by some, uh, okay, admittedly some problems in Ottawa, West Nepean with, uh, with ballots and such, but that also happened with male candidates as well. Uh, this is not a, uh, we've got to have um, a, a basically a status of women's committee for provincial nominations. Brian, she has no right to say anything like that. It, it, it's completely false. If, if you're a strong enough human being, whatever your gender, if, if you're strong enough to run, and, and again, I'll mention Tanya, like she just blew me off. Like, wow, she really came on strong. Uh, there's, there, they have every opportunity to, to exceed. All right. Thanks for the call, Dan. Let's go to uh, Maddie. I'm trying to remember who is the – Dan was calling from the south end of Ottawa. I'm trying to remember who the candidate is in Ottawa South. That escaped my mind. Uh, Maddie, you are on Beyond the News. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm wondering what's going through Trudeau's head. I mean, he's spending I'm money I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You asked what was in Trudeau's head. No, I don't even think there's that much because, like I said, I'm sitting here going, he's just blowing away our farmers. The CFRA nation should say a prayer for our farmers tonight. Uh, Send a good wish. Send help. Set up a fund for them. I would like to see Trudeau be hauled off his throne, put onto a farm, the, the, the lowest and the most neediest farm out at West, and for a week get a real education. No, we don't get two months off in the summer. No, we don't earn minimum wage. Yes, both me and my wife work the farm. We don't get daycare. Here's what our house is worth. Here's what our barns are worth. Here's what our fuel plus the carbon uh, tax. I'm not going to deny cost. that there's wealthy farmers, but he is... Uh, he's an idiot. Yeah, he's out of touch. Out of touch, for but sure. The, and the thing is, is the only thing I can say is he gives Bombardier, what, $100 million? Because no, 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 no. It's three hundred and seventy-four. Let's be clear: three hundred and seventy-four okay. million. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm a female. I can't remember numbers. <laughs> but I'm wondering, you know, if what we should be doing is telling our farmers, you know what, get rid of the chickpeas, get rid of this, get rid of that. Tell, go to Trudeau and say, no, I don't have a big corporation, but I need some of that money that you give me away, like, like water, because I got to retool. Because you know what, I'm going to be growing either marijuana or something that can replace morphine. Because we seem to be catering and pandering. So, well, we're drug addicts and we need clean drugs. So start paying me as a Canadian. Make that stuff. And as for the quotas, mm-hmm. we can't sell to outside the country. Why the hell can't we sell it cheaper to our own people? So that when the state sends stuff up to us, not our own stuff, but we, we, we start doing our own slaughtering and packaging and whatnot. Well, what, what I can tell you about that, Maddie, is that uh, we've lost a lot of provincial slaughterhouses, and this impacts because they, those were the the smaller ones. Um, we've lost a lot of the provincial slaughterhouses, and the, the smaller ones um, is, is where a lot of hunters would take their their game to be butchered. Um, and so, due to regulation, due to red tape, I know people think, "Oh, red tape." I don't really know what that well. If you're spending more of your time filling out paperwork for government than running your business, that's a problem. 
And that's yeah. reality far too often for small business owners. No, but I mean, the, the farmers should get together and say, okay, we've got a milk board, we've got quotas here. Then government step in and you know what? We can't sell to outside. So we're as poor as, if not poorer than, big corporations. Because we're feeding our own people. All right. Thanks for the call, Maddie. Let's... We can put, we can, uh, anyway, there's one other thing that I want to Okay, go say. quick. Okay, we can turn around and give people money to go out there and get Teslas that are electric. When are they going to give the farmer the same rebate and go into town and you can plug in your tractor for the night? I'd like to hear them on that one. Thank you so very <laughs> Thank much. Thank you. Have a good uh, night. I want to see Catherine McKenna tweet about somebody plugging in their tractor at uh, uh, Ottawa City Hall. That's not going to happen. Uh, Russ, you're on Beyond the News. Were you at the debate last night, Russ? You know, I applied for my tickets. I didn't make it. I wasn't chosen. Um, I will give a tip my hat to you that you are more aware of these candidates and their stuff, I guess, than I am. Because Carolyn Mulroney seemed like a logical choice on paper. And then when the first debate happened on TVO, I was just so disappointed. That lady, lovely lady, but she doesn't have, you know, the fire that they need for that job. Tanya, oh, my Lord, I like that girl, but she doesn't have a snowball's chance, unfortunately. So, you know, it, it's coming down to, uh, you know, either Christine or Doug. So I just I'm got a message, by the way, of all the different women running in the area. I can't believe I forgot this guy reminding Karen me that Howard. Karen Howard's running in Ottawa South. And I was just talking yeah. to Karen the other day and I saw her last night. So the yeah. PCs have a, a big slate of women candidates. Well, she's got a, uh, you know, a very big uphill battle going up against the nicest man in politics there, Mr. John Fraser. And, and so, John is nothing if he is not a nice guy, and I like <clears throat> him, but as I've said before, he supported all the wrong policies, therefore, got to go. Oh, yeah, his hands are dirty. I mean, John's a hell of a nice guy. Uh, he's not going anywhere because the Ottawa South riding... They have a well-oiled liberal election machine, let me tell you. The two times that I tried to help Matt Young, uh, election night, when we are sitting there counting the ballots, there was about four or five of us in the ballot counting room, and we were all one- or two-year uh, experience doing this kind of thing. They had a bunch of sharks in there, I'll tell you. These people were watching every ballot, and they took it super serious. They had a frown on their face, and they wanted you to know there was 12 or 15 of them in there watching every ballot counted, and holy crow, they were, like, on it, like, you know, ugly yeah, on Yeah, but, you know, they've only held that seat since 1988. Oh, one? Oh, yeah, okay, well. You know, only since 1988. Uh, it, it was PC before, and, uh, uh, you know, the the south end of the riding and the area where Karen was talking to me about up around Mooney's Bay, knocking in around those areas, those have potential to go conservative. So it's a split riding. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. When I went out on the doors with Matt, we went to hundreds and hundreds of doors, and we had so many people that said, oh, I'm so disgusted with the Liberals. Oh, this time for sure I'm changing my mind. And, you know, well, I I guess, you know, the leader last time, sure, Mr. Hudak didn't help, but people were lying to us. Oh, I'm changing my mind this time. You know, they want their nice little world to stay the way it is. They want massive debt. They don't want any cutbacks. They don't want any changes. All these City of Ottawa employees that were told, 
if Hudak and his group gets in, you're going to get fired as well. And all the city of Ottawa employees believed it, and they ran from it in droves. Well, it's a different campaign this time, so uh, I expect that a good chunk of eastern Ontario is going to turn blue, uh, possibly even Ottawa South. You wanted to comment on Dean's before we take a break? Uh, you can't engineer, you know, what's right and what's wrong. You know, the universe always works itself out. All right. Well said. Russ, thanks for the call. 521-TALK, 521-8255. We'll take a quick break, come back with more of your calls, my final thoughts. We'll talk about those poll numbers back after this. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Okay, we'll take a couple more calls, and then I'll give you my thoughts on the uh, the Main Street poll. You don't want to miss that uh, because there's some interesting breakdowns of how this could go and the thought process that I had previously uh, starting to play into this. So uh, let's go to Maria. Maria, you're calling in about Diane Deans? Yes, I don't agree with this Women's Bureau. I don't think we need it. I have to agree with Mary, your earlier caller. Mm-hmm. I have to agree with her. I mean, um, it's we've already had affirmative action. I mean, we've the women today, the women. I mean, women have so many choices today. I don't think. That, I think that the reason why women don't enter politics is because it's not their choice. If they have, if they decide that they that is their desire, they and they have the abilities and the um, the background that they need to do that. There's plenty, I mean, they have plenty of supports for them to do to enter, you know, the uh, the ring. They could... Um, uh, uh, let me ask you, what if Doug Ford wins the Ontario PC leadership race? Is that due to sexism? Because there's no, three I women mean, on the stage. I, I listened to the debate last night. I listened, and uh, uh, my first choice, I mean, I, I like Doug. I, I mean, I listened to him, and I, and mm-hmm. I liked what he was saying. But I don't think he can beat Kathleen Wynne. I think we need, I think the, pre, the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party needs a woman to lead the party because they've never had a woman lead the party before. Okay. And, uh, but and but I, you wouldn't say, if he won, you wouldn't say, well, that's obviously sexism. No, I mean, if uh, Let me won, ask you about this, though. You heard Rebecca, uh, she called in, she's 27, yes, and I said, um, you know, she disagrees with so, some of what Diane Dean says, but says on other aspects that... You know, she said, myself and every other woman that works in Canada knows we have to change the way we act at work uh, to match men. Well, I've worked in the uh, civil, I mean, I go back, I don't want to, you know, give my age away, but I worked under Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and I remember Pearson as uh, Prime Minister, and uh, so I go way back, and, uh, you know, I can remember a time when women couldn't even, uh, if women got pregnant, they would be fired from their jobs. And we have had uh, women would be fired from their jobs, and a woman couldn't even wear a pair of slacks to school. I don't know in right, to that, work to work or to slack. I mean, you could be in the wintertime, You know how cold that can be if you're wearing if you had if you're wearing um, nylons. Uh, I, be, I, I actually don't. No, no, but I mean, it would be <laughs> but very, I can very imagine. Cold. So the thing is, that was the only exception. You could wear a pair of uh, slacks, as they call them. In those days, and you know, you could wear a pair of slacks, but then you'd have to remove them. 
when you got to school or work. And wow. So it wasn't accepted. It wasn't so a very different da- time. It was a All very, right. very different time. So, I mean, uh, women today, and, and if you got pregnant, and then later, um, uh, you know, later if you, uh, back in the 70s, and then, you know, a woman, if she got pregnant, she worked and she got pregnant, then maternity leave was almost non-existent. You know, I can, non-existent. Yeah, Almost. no, and I understand. Three, and then three, and, and then it grew to three and four months. And um, with my child, went back to work after after three months. Now it's up to eighteen and, months if you want to spread it out that long. Yeah, but so the I money's mean, only is, twelve. I mean, wow, that would have been great. All right, thanks for the call, Maria. No, but there's another thing. I mean, yep. um, there's I mean the Helen Reddy song. You know, uh, I'm woman, hear me roar. You know that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this goes back, and women now are astronauts and, uh, neuro, you know, neuroscientists. We've, uh, they're astronauts, they're governor generals. I mean, the only thing we haven't had is a female prime minister. Yeah, no, no, we women. did. We did. Oh, yes. Kim Campbell. Yes, Kim Campbell, yes. She had it as but a summer job. Elected. Yes, I know it was a summer, but she wasn't elected. Yeah. She wasn't elected. She took over for Brian Mulroney, and then... Uh, I, uh, I tell you, to be the conservatives to get, get there before the uh, the liberals. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. You know uh, maybe. No, they're they're going to keep the dolphin in there for a long time. I gotta yes. I gotta go to one yes. more call before Thank I give you. my thoughts on the poll. Thanks for your call, Maria. Uh, Frank, quick uh, quick thoughts from you, and then I'll give my thoughts on how the PC leadership race will go. Frank. Yes. I okay, go right. quick, Frank. Yes, I uh, seen the debate last night. And what do you yes. think? Who won? Usually, who lost? Uh, well, I'd say overall, they all did pretty good. I'd say uh, either would have been, uh, like, either which way, man or woman. I'd say, uh, well, either could have uh, you know, Christine Elliott or uh, Doug Ford, I would say. Hey, yeah, and, they, and that's the consensus, is that yeah. those two are out front. So The other two are not, you know, they actually they don't have a political experience what? at all. What are your thoughts on Diane Deans before I give my summary of the poll? Diane Deans? Yeah, you're, were you calling in on Diane Deans as well? Uh, no. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll let you go with that, Frank, and I'll give you my thoughts on how I think this race will go because just over a week from now, we'll find out the results, and starting tomorrow night, party members get to vote. Well, Main Street Research did a poll of 17,399 PC party members between February 21st and 26th. They say that it has a margin of error of plus or minus 0.7% 19 times out of 20. When they break it down by riding, okay, so there's just in terms of overall, Doug Ford leads Christine Elliott 36.7% to 32.7% for Elliott. But when you break it down by riding, which is important because there's a point system as well, Ford gets 34.8% of the uh, first ballot. Elliot 33.9, Mulroney, 19.6, and Granick Allen, 11.7. After last night's debate, I would expect those first ballot numbers for Granick Allen to go up. If that happens, and if it, I, I imagine that they would go up at the uh, expense of Caroline Mulroney, because I think Elliot and Ford shored up their base last night. But if you end up with Doug Ford at around 35% and Granick Allen coming in close to 15% on the first ballot, then I think Doug Ford takes it. If Carolyn Mulroney is close to 
and Christine Elliott is hitting close to Doug at 35, there's a good chance that Mulrooney, or sorry, that Elliott takes it. It's going to come down to who gets the most second choices and who drops off first. If Carolyn Mulrooney finishes in fourth and Granick Allen is ahead of her and Doug has a slight lead at, at the first ballot, he's going to take it. It's going to be fascinating. I'll continue to watch this. Uh, we'll, you know, you will hear from me, Twitter or whatever. As soon as I see those first ballot results, I'll tell you who's going to win. And uh, if I have egg on my face at the end, not a problem. But I called it at the last uh, federal conservative leadership race. As soon as I saw the first ballot, I said, Andrew Shear has it. Will I be able to do the same thing this time? We'll see. But it's uh, it's going it's a complex race. You can't just say so and so has it because they got it on the first ballot. It depends on who drops off first, who drops off second, and where their votes go. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Sixty sevens here tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side. <laughs>